Section 17 of Buff, a Collie, and Other Dog Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Buff, a Collie, and Other Dog Stories by Albert Payson Terhune. The Foul Fancier, Part 3. As he opened the door of his bedroom, Jeff leaped eagerly up from his nightly vigil post across the outer threshold. Stiff as he was from his shoulder hurt, the dog gambled gleefully round his master, patting at Dan's knees with his flying white paws, wriggling himself into an ecstatic interrogation mark, and whimpering with delight at the wonderful fact that his adored demigod was once more with him after ten whole hours of absence. Thus, the world over, do the average run of collies give morning salute to the man or woman they have accepted as their deity, and, as ever, the greeting warmed Dan Rourke's long loveless heart he stooped over and patted the silken head the collie growled in horrific menace and caught dan's big hand between his mighty jaws as if to crush it but the jaws did not exert the pressure of a fraction of an ounce on the firm flesh they had so playfully imprisoned and the throaty growls were belied by a furious wagging of the plumed tail this was jeff's favorite game with his master with no one else would he deign to play dan rumpled the dog's soft ears and looked with a queer new timidity into the deep-set dark eyes of his chum at the unquestioning joyous devotion he saw there, he felt a tiny twinge of relief. Something he had let himself fear in the long night's meditations had not yet begun to happen. There was still time, plenty of time. And his resolve, firmer than ever, he ran down to the breakfast room, where Red Keegan was already seating himself at the table. "'Chronicle's got a spread on your match with Feltman,' was the manager's morning salutation. First page, and again under Camp Muller's signature, on the sporting page. We've got a good start, all right. Now— if it isn't too late, said Dan hesitantly, I kind of wish you'd cancel the match. I don't honest think I can stop Kid Feltman, for all you say I've gone ahead this half year, and it's more'n even bet he can stop me inside the limit. So I've been thinking it over, and I guess you'd best call it off, or get him to substitute some easier guy than Felt. Good Lord! snorted Keegan. Do you sit there and tell me you don't even remember from yesterday the layout for that fight? Of all the— Yep answered Rourke, sullenly playing with his food, and glancing down for encouragement at the collie lying on the floor beside him. Yep, I remember it all right. All right, Red. I remember it. But it won't work. That's why I— Won't work! thundered Keegan, glaring across at his embarrassed star. Why the blue hell won't it work? It's the prettiest setup we've ever handled. There ain't a flaw to it. Won't work! Why the— because replied dan sheepishly yet firm as stone as he glowered back at his manager because that setup of yours calls for a heap of fancy fouling and-and i'm-i'm off fouling off it for keeps that's red keegan broke in on the halting announcement with a sound that a turkey might have produced had its tail feathers been pulled violently at the moment it chanced to be gobbling the result was a noise that brought jeff to his feet with a jump his tulip ears cocked, his eyes aglow with excited inquiry, a series of staccato barks racketing from his furry throat. "'Lay down, Jeffy,' ordered Dan. "'He ain't going to bite me. He's only—' "'Are you plumb crazy, Dan?' sputtered the manager. "'Or is it a bum little joke? Aw, oh, fouling, hey! What's going to keep you from the hungry house if—' "'If clean scrapping won't keep me fed,' answered Rourke, "'I'll go get my job back in the puddling gang. "'Anyhow, it goes like I said. I'm off fouling. "'No, go ahead and swear.' But Red Keegan did not go ahead and swear. Profanity was a very present help to the nerves, in the event of stepping on a tack, or mashing one's thumb with a hammer, or on hearing that one's wife had eloped. But this matter lay too deep for swearing. 
blusteringly, then flatteringly, then coaxingly, and at last with the tremolo stop pulled far out, he pleaded with Dan. He painted in glowing colors the middleweight's comfortable rise from the ranks and the golden future that awaited him under Keegan's guidance. If only he would have the intelligence to stick to his manager's tuition and not get fool ideas that he could fight on the square well enough to keep himself warm. He foretold a future of failure and gutter poverty should the fool hold to this suicidal new plan. To all of which Dan Rourke answered not a word, but sat glumly frowning at the spotty tablecloth and occasionally letting his fidgety hand rest for a second on Jeff's head. When at last Keegan had run down and was bereft equally of breath and vocabulary and emotion, Dan began to speak. He did not look at the puffingly apoplectic manager, but rambled on as if addressing the hole in his napkin. A feller told me once, he began, that there's mighty little a collie dog don't know, and I've seen enough of Jeff here to find out that's so. Jeff can tell when I'm blue and when I'm tickled just by looking at me. It, it'd be funny, wouldn't it, if he could get to telling, by looking at me, that I'm not on the square. A dog with Jeff's breeding and Jeff's sense would sure be too high-toned to pal with a crook, if he knowed it. And he knows a lot of things I'd never supposed an animal could know. He looked down again at the collie as if for moral support. At the worry in his master's glance, Jeff's dark eyes took on a glint of eager concern. He laid one white little forepaw on Dan's muddy boot and whined softly far down in his throat. Thus encouraged, Rourke went on. That's only one end of it. Here's another. A man's pretty low down in the list, ain't he, if he can't even fight as square as his dog can fight? A clean dog sure got a right to a clean master. Them folks yesterday was all praising Jeff. They wasn't praising him so much for licking the big feller as for licking him clean, and for not fouling when he had a chance to. I could see that myself. Well, I should think folks would feel that way about a man that fights clean. Anyhow, he finished defiantly, no poor dog's going to have the right to say he's a whiter man than what I am. I've been thinking it all over, and that's the answer. I'm off fouling, like I said. For the next twenty-four hours, the bungalow and the gym were vibrant with the sounds of argument and vituperation. Keegan exhausted his every battery, and, like most men who think slowly and seldomly, Dan Rourke grew more and more firmly set in his queer resolution the more he discussed it. Even stolid Bud Curley, his sparring partner and general handyman round the gym, was moved to bewilderment by the once docile fighter's firmness in resisting the all-powerful boss. Only once, in a day and night of abusive exhortation on Red's part, did Dan lose for an instant his sullen calm. That was when Keegan grumbled, "'It's all the damn dog's fault. It's him that's turned you loony. I've got a good mind to shoot him. Then maybe you'll—' "'You shoot that dog,' flared Rourke, striding up to the little manager, his thick fingers working convulsively. "'And by the good Lord, I swear I'll break your neck over my knee if I go to the chair for it. That goes for you, too, Curly. If you think I'm bluffing, you'd best change your mind, unless you're sick of staying alive. It goes.' To Bud Curly's surprise, the irascible Red did not retort. Instead, he stood looking long and earnestly at the raging fighter. Then he said with conciliatory calm, "'Nobody wants to hurt the pup, Dan. Climb down off the ceiling, and if you're so dead set on playing the fool, well, I suppose I'll have to trail my bets along with yours. You can't lick Feltman on the square, but it won't be my fault if you don't put up the best fight of your life again him. It's too late to cancel the match now. All me and Curly can do is to train you to the minute and trust to luck for the rest.' Glad to have won his sorry point, Dan settled down with grim energy to the task of training. He knew how slight were his chances of victory, yet he was ready to meet the suddenly reconciled Keegan halfway by training at his level best. 
Feltman and a little retinue came to Pitvale in order to be on the ground and to avoid travel before the fight. They set up training quarters scarce two blocks away from Keegan's bungalow. For nearly a month the two rivals wrought at their preparations for the battle. Once or twice on a hike or a sprint they chanced to meet in street or high road, and such well-rehearsed chance meetings, with their mutual scowling frigidity, served Camp Miller as splendid grudge-fight copy for the Chronicle. The fight was to be held in the Pitvale Coliseum, a vast and barn-like structure, originally built for state conventions and for summer Chautauqua lectures. It was scheduled for ten o'clock on the night of April 2nd. On the morning of April 2nd, Dan Rourke awoke from a ten-hour sleep, ran under the shower, rubbed down, slipped into his clothes, and started for breakfast with the appetite of a longshoreman. His nerves, as well as his physique, had profited by his hard, wise training. If he was due to end the day in defeat, at least the thought of it had not marred his night's rest or his appetite. Outside his bedroom door he paused as usual for his morning frolic with Jeff, but Jeff was not there. In all their long months of chumship this was the first morning that Jeff had not been on hand to greet with noisy delight his new awakened master, and the dog's absence perplexed Rourke. Downstairs he went, hoping to find the collie waiting for him in the dining-room. The room was empty. Whistling for the missing Jeff, Dan went out on the tiny front porch. No dog was in view, but he saw Keegan and Bud working with scrambly haste at the far end of the yard, piling shovelfuls of fresh dirt into what looked like a new-dug hole under the yard's one fruit tray. Before Dan could call out, Curly happened to look up from his toil and caught sight of him as he stood on the porch steps. Curly nudged Keegan and said something out of the corner of his mouth. The two exchanged nervous whispers. Then Red dropped his spade and came hurrying toward the house, a laboredly artificial smile of greeting on his bothered face. "'Seen Jeff anywhere?' asked Rourke, his puzzled eyes still on Curly, who was now patting the crumbly earth smooth over the filled excavation. "'Sure I've seen him,' babbled Keegan with forced joviality, and looked anywhere rather than at Dan. "'He was frisking around here just a minute ago. Must have run down street a ways. He'll be back soon. Come on in and eat. Sleep all right? I wasn't expecting you down for another ten minutes.' He had mounted the steps and almost forcibly was propelling Dan indoors. "'Looking for Jeff?' hollowly queried Bud Curly, coming up the steps behind him. "'He's all right. Good old Jeff's all right. He was playing around in the gym just now.' Dan Rourke was the least subtle of men, and his brain was too small to hold suspicion, but a five-year-old child would have been keenly aware of the guilt and furtiveness in the manner of the two. Dan stopped short. He looked from one to the other of them, and then at the fresh earth under the fruit tree. "'Red, you told me Jeff went down the street,' he accused. "'And now Bud says he's out in the gym. "'Which of you is lying? "'And why is either of you lying? "'And what were you burying out there? "'Speak up, one of you, or I'll go out there and dig till I find out.' He spoke with rising excitement. As he finished, he made as if to start across the yard toward the tree. Both men seized him, and both began speaking at once. "'Jeff's all right,' insisted Red. "'And we was just spading up the earth to make that tree grow better. "'It's too spindly, and—' Yes, declared Bud in the same breath. Jeff's feeling fine. He'll be back presently. We was trying to see could we bury some garbage out yonder instead of bothering to burn it. We— Jeff is dead, interrupted Dan, his voice all at once lifeless and flat. You've been burying him. You don't want me to know. He— The two others fidgeted guiltily. Then, clearing his throat, Keegan said, I wanted to keep it from you till after tonight, Danny. I'm sorry. Sorry right down to the ground. "'But since you guessed that much of it, I'd best tell you the whole thing. "'Buck up and take it like a he-man, son. "'After all, he was only just a dog. "'I'll buy you another one, and—' "'There 
ain't any other one denied rourke chokingly there was only one just jeff him and me and he was the chum i what happened to him he demanded fiercely swallowing very hard and trying to keep his voice steady and his eyes dry spill it then take it cried keegan harshly take it straight like a he-man had ought to take the rotten news this morning when i went past your door there lay jeff he was stone dead i picked him up and brang him down on the porch i knowed how it would queer your nerve to find out he was gone so i aimed to bury him and tell you he had just strayed off like and he would come home by and by when i got him out on the porch i noticed he was all strained backward and i'd seen dogs poisoned by strychnia before there ain't any other poison that makes him look that way he poisoned yelled dan in a blind fury catching at the word i'll find the swine that did it if it takes every cent i got and when i once get hold of him i beat you to it danny continued red's sorrowing tones i got curly here to start digging a grave and i piked down to reuter's drug store i had a sneaking suspicion already reuter was just opening up for the day when i got there i asked him who had brought strychnia of him lately the only strychnia he's sold in the past week was what he sold to a man yesterday a feller who had a doctor's prescription for it said he wanted it to poison cats that kept him awake by yowling under his window he got reuter to tell him how to fix it up in a piece of meat who was he broke in rourke his eye-teeth showing his deep voice a half-coherent growl who the doctor that gave the man the prescription said keegan slowly was that old down-and-out m d slob that feltman has for a handyman the feller that brought the poison and asked reuter how to fix it was kid feltman he the manager got no further dan rourke was out the door and down the steps in one bound it was only as he stopped to yank madly at the gate-latch that red and curly overtook him and threw themselves bodily on the raging man even then it was a matter of minutes before their combined strength and bud's wrestling grip from behind could quell him let me go he snarled straining and biting at the detaining arms i'll settle with him before jeff's cold i'll you'll settle with him a heap better and by trying to beat him up now with his handlers and them to keep you from doing it promised keegan there's better ways lots better ways you listen to me danny boy momentarily spent with his own fury rourke suffered himself to be dragged indoors there keegan faced him and said you want to square yourself with feltman and more'n square yourself good then here's the way feltman's always hated you ever since he lost to you that time he's told fifty folks he'd get even he's seen and he's heard how much store you set by jeff so he poisoned him to get back at you now here's how you'll get back at him you was going to fight him clean and he'd a most a likely won so that ain't the way to fight him if you want to settle with him for poor jeff the way to do it is sail in with every foul that can get past camp mueller and a hayload of em can get past that ivory mine foul him from the start with the murderingest set of fowls i've ever learned you cripple him so he'll be in the hospital for a year foul him into a dead one and then punch his head off at him and win as early in the fight as you want to get the idea foul him to death if you like it's no worse than he treated jeff the ring's the place to finish him not now where you likely end up in the hooskow before you'd more'n half hit him go to it dan grunted avid assent and after breakfast careful rehearsing of old foul tactics and a study of new ones began as dan rourke stripped and eager sat in his hot dressing-room under the auditorium that night waiting for the summons to enter the ring he had his first minute of solitary reflection throughout the whole keegan-infested day his manager was upstairs wrangling with the carnival treasurer curly had gone to the ring to watch the wind-up of the second preliminary bout dan was alone in his heart still raged black hate and a craving for revenge and he was sick with grief over his chum's murder 
while he sat there in the faint challenge bark of a dog a collie perhaps from nowhere in particular drifted to him through the ill-boarded dressing-room walls at the sound dan started violently jeff he whispered under his breath as if in answer to his call the room all at once seemed a throb with the presence of his loved dog in superstitious awe dan peered about him then he straightened his bent body and to an unseen something he began to speak we're going to pay up the bill in a few minutes now jeffy he promised watch me the foolish words started a new train of thoughts in the tormented brain watch him the clean fighting dog watch his master put up the foulest fight of his career with the vision came sharp revulsion watch me jeff he repeated out loud watch me do it watch me do it square square jeffy boy while the odd exultation was still upon him keegan and curly came back to the dressing-room to escort him to the arena the pitvale athletic carnival crowd that night witnessed the bloodiest and most spectacularly ferocious battle in the annals of the local ring from the sound of the gong dan rourke was at his antagonist forcing the fight at every point never once for the fraction of a second did he abandon the aggressive feltman showered upon him an avalanche of scientific punishment but it failed to slow down the homicidal attack to red keegan's goggle-eyed dismay and despite his dumbfounded interround pleas rourke fought as clean as a galahad not once would he make use of even the safest foul not once would he seek to elude the dull referee by using the easiest of keegan's carefully taught ruses he fought like a wild beast but he fought like a fair one buoyed by his insane hate for his enemy and by his stark craving for vengeance he was as a man in delirium the hideous punishment meted out to him had no visible effect on his maniac strength or speed his madness did not preclude the use of all the skill he could muster but it made him impervious to pain and to shock round after round the fight slashed on while the crowd screamed and pounded in delight and while red keegan and curly watched their madman with anguished eyes willing to take the heaviest blow if only he might land his heaviest smash in return dan tore away at his foe four times he was knocked down once he was unconscious for five seconds but borne ever onward by that wild urge of revenge he came flying back to the combat with undiminished fury flesh and blood could not stand the fearful tax indefinitely through all his mania rourke began dimly to realize that there was a trifle less crushing vehemence in his own punches and less whirlwind speed in his onslaught with every atom of will and of rage and of resolve in his whole cosmos he scourged himself to renewed effort the welter of blows avalanched upon him unfelt over and over in his hot brain he was saying watch me do it jeff watch me do it square and he fought on as dan reeled back to his corner at the end of the hammer and tongs ninth round he heard as from miles off keegan's voice whispering to him try out the good old stunts danny tain't too late even yet he's groggy try him curly tells me he's making a joke of how he killed jeff says he kicked the poor pup yesterday too when he met him in the street he dan heard no more the minute's rest was over almost before it began his ears ringing with the tail of the kick he plunged back into the fight feltman met him mid-ring a horribly battered and staggering feltman who sought to improve on his minute's rest by fainting with the left and then aiming a great right swing for the head the swing did not land disregarding the feint rourke had bored in the swing passed beyond him while his two fists were greedily busy with infighting at his tired adversary's body across the ring and to the ropes with all his ebbing force he hammered feltman against the ropes he drove him then as feltman rebounded from the impact dan flung every remaining sinew of strength into a cross-body right for the jaw 
It was a reckless blow, except as a counter, and Feltman saw it coming in time, but his worn-out guard would not obey the dazed brain's mandate quickly enough to block the mighty punch. Rourke's rage-driven right fist caught his opponent flush on the point of the chin, and Feltman sprawled prone on his face. Quietly, non-dramatically, he lay there, dead to the world while the referee counted. At the count of eight, Feltman tried instinctively to get up, but he succeeded only in rolling over on his back. Cut to ribbons, bleeding, bruised, aching, and all but blinded, Dan Rourke suffered the exultant Keegan and Bud to guide him down to his dressing room. He had won. He had thrashed the man who had poisoned Jeff. This much his dizzy senses told him. But Feltman was still alive, and Jeff was dead. Dan's heart was like cold lead beneath his bruised ribs. His sensational victory was as ashes and dust to him. He was deaf to Keegan's hysterical adulation. Nothing mattered. Bud Curly swung open the dressing-room door. Over the threshold swept a whirlwind of gold and white, barking rapturously and flinging itself upon Rourke's bleeding chest. Long afterward Dan listened with a foolish grin on his swollen face, while Keegan confessed the truly Keegan-esque trick, whereby he had sought to lure back his man to an acceptance of the sure-to-win foul tactics, of the hiding of Jeff in a neighbor's cellar for the day, of the spiriting him into the dressing-room after the fight began, of the coaching of Curly into endorsing the tale of poison, and of Bud's part in the mock grave-digging, a digging timed nicely to coincide with Dan's appearance on the porch. All this much later, but— for the instant, the only thing Dan Rourke knew was that his dead pet, or its ghost, it did not matter which, had come back to him, and that everything was once more tremendously worthwhile, and that the world was a gorgeous place to do one's living in. Forgetful of hurts and of weakness, he gathered the ecstatically squirming collie into his battered bare arms, and babbled sobbingly, I did it square, Jeff, I did it square, you, you saw me do it square. End of section 17